James Nicholl. Thanks for thanks for joining yeah, us. Good to be we didn't realise your commute. Do apologise. <laughs> Two and a half hour drive to come on an amateur podcast. But it's good, man. It's good. I know, I know it'll be uh, it'll be worth it. <laughs> we we appreciate it. I'm used, really to that, good. used to that drive down to Portsmouth anyway, so it's just a little a little yeah. detour from what I'm used to. You used to train at uh, Gym One, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good, really good gym, high level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know the guys there. Obviously, we sponsored Shock and Awe on the last. Was it the last one I did? See, yeah. Corona's messed me up so much because there's been no events, so I can't we're, think. We're vaccination nation now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I'm meant to be commentating on the next shock and all, oh, alongside yeah. uh, Colin and their team there, so that would be good as well. But, yeah, we got a lot of respect for the guys over there. Who was your training partners there then? Mainly like Elliot and people yeah, like Yeah, Elliot, um, Michael, um, like Sam Green, Jay Parker. Yeah. Down there. So today you'll get free nutritional advice. They've been awesome, actually. I've had loads of people from there. Yeah. Like, get in touch for um, like working with me. So yeah, it's been good uh, relationship to have. Good. So while we're on the subject of that, let's talk about firstly your origins. What what got you into martial arts first? We'll come into the nutrition side of it. But what got you into? Because I know you are you're a heavy Muay Thai practitioner. Yeah. So what what started your interest in that? So, funnily enough, it's not like most people's tradition, traditional sort of entry to martial arts. I was never really into it as a kid. Okay. I didn't really watch like the martial arts movies or anything. Um, basically, just when I was in school, um, it was about 15, my mate heard about it, wanted to go down, um, give it a go, and basically just didn't want to go on his own. So he's like, <laughs> oh, will you come with me? It's like, yeah. Does he still train or not? Nah. <laughs> Standard. He, he did, yeah, he did about, I don't know, a couple of weeks of it, and <laughs> I've basically trained ever since, so... Got, got him to thank for for that but um so it wasn't the traditional because a lot of people that especially they get into uh muay thai or some form of kickboxing it's, it's from like eight yeah. or it's from 80s movies so people are like jean-claude van damme fans they watch kickboxing and want it to be tom poe instead of two minutes here and we've mentioned tom poe yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it had to be didn't it yeah. but that is it sounds silly but back in the 80s and 90s that's what People didn't really know much about no. Thai boxing or mm-hmm. Lafway or anything like that. So it was like those sort of films that highlighted it, really. Yeah, it's funny. Like a lot of people, like especially like you said in Muay Thai, have got into it through those like, yeah. those things like that. But for me, it's like shout out to the muscles from Brussels. <laughs> Mate, that is why I always liked martial arts. That's why I liked uh, combat sports. That's why I started watching boxing. Everything. It's because when I was a kid, my uncle used to put Van Damme movies on. So I was sat there watching like. Bloodsport and the Quest at six years old. Quest, <laughs> but you know what I mean. And then it was like all of a sudden, and I was like, well, "This is normal. This is what I want to do." So, so you weren't into Jean Claude. You got into kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's just I don't know. I think I, I've never like really been into any sports. Like not not really into football or anything like you like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that was just like, but I'd always been like super competitive as well. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that was just like a good outlet. Yeah. A good, um, yeah, just like something I could commit like to 100%, something I enjoy and, you know, release a bit of stress, release so, a bit of... So how old were you when you first started training? Uh, 15. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's still pretty early, isn't it? To be doing yeah. it at 15 years old. Yeah. And was that Muay Thai specific? Was that a yeah, local yeah. club? Yeah, yeah. So it's at the same, same Muay Thai gym that I'm, that I'm with now, so... You've been there the whole time. Been there the whole time. Yeah, that's cool. What's the name of the gym? Let's give him a shout out. It's a combat gym. Yeah, based in represent based in St Albans. Okay, cool. And so you've so been doing it like you said around nine years. Yeah, about that. Yeah, so I'm 24 now. So yeah. So at 15, were you still competing against 
similar age group, or what's the adult category? For, so like, I, I didn't actually start competing until I went down to gym one. Oh, okay. um, so when I first started uh, at Combat Gym, so it was called St. Albans Muay Thai back then, it was like three nights a week, um, like hosted in a boxing club, so it was like sort of, sort of part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did that as much as I could, um, enjoyed that, but it wasn't until I actually went down to uni, um, and like, I'm sure you know that the guys at Gym one they've got a good set up there, lots yeah, of fight opportunities, stuff like that, so... Yeah. That was the first time I I fought and actually got like a sense of real competition. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was it was I don't know how old it would have been, maybe eighteen or, or nineteen when I actually first started fighting. And was that on a show or was that like an inter club level to start? Yeah, was, I, I'd done a few inter clubs with yeah, <laughs> just just down Westwood. Give it a walk. Plenty of fights there. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd done a few inter clubs just like over the years, like with with my home gym and with Gym One as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an amateur show um, that they put on. I think that was in my second year of uni. So. Yeah. That was the point. Right? Is that the one that used to be at the school? Was it at St. Mary? It, it was. Um, what's the school down in Pompey? I'm trying to remember the name of the place. It was like a sports hall. Yeah, and it was just um, a ring in the middle of the sports yeah. hall. Yeah, I used to go watch them. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. probably seen you fight, but not real. Yeah. But yeah, I used to go to all of those, all the interclubs, because I think a few of the Gym 01 guys used to come to the Carters interclubs as well, because I used to fight kickboxing on those. But yeah, I used to go to like, I'm sure the name of the school is like St. Mary's or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that does ring a bell. It's literally in the middle of Portsmouth, isn't it? Yeah. Like not yeah. far from Gilder Walk, funnily enough. Yeah. So you can have a fight in Gilder Walk <laughs> and then go to an interclub and it's amazing. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were at Portsmouth Uni and you were training at Gym 01, were you doing nutrition at Portsmouth University? Or what were you studying? Uh, I studied psychology, actually. So that's what my degree is in. There we go. And that... You'd have a field day with me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was uni when I started getting into nutrition because it, it sort of ties in with everything. So like having the opportunity to fight and stuff, obviously, you know, you've got to be like dialed in with your nutrition, yeah. gotta, you know, be the right weight and then cut weight at the end. Um, and like, I'd never, I'd never been like a skinny guy. I'd never been like fat, but I'd always been like, I suppose just like a little bit bigger than I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, no matter what I tried as well, like nothing was seeming to work. Um, and it was that point, you know, when I had to start competing, that it was like, right, you can't just keep messing around, you've actually got to, got yeah, to get... Yeah, um, can't just dip your toe in the water anymore. Exactly. So I tried pretty much every, every like, bullshit fad <laughs> at, at uni, like, <laughs> like low-carb, keto, um, even, like, did, like, bulletproof coffee. Um, <laughs> what was the one that went around ages ago? It was, like, a, a shake. You just have, like, three shakes oh, a day. You just um, blend everything in. Like a fucking grey yeah. uh, label, innit? Yeah. I don't know what I'm about, yeah. It was some Australian fuel. Fuel. That as well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty much, like, tried everything and just... Couldn't, I could always lose a bit of weight and then I'd, I'd put it back on. Um, so it was unsustainable. Yeah, and, and that, that was the point where I was like, I need to, you know, like, so, and I'd always been interested in it. Like, I love food as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely helps. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it was just after a lot, a lot, a lot of experimentation and then sort of starting to educate myself, I started to know what worked and what worked for me. And then find a bit more of a sustainable approach and be able to sort of sort what is like worthless and yeah. versus like what is just like bro science basically. So um, was, there a, was there a point with the psychology where the, you were like, I'm enjoying this, but the nutrition I'm enjoying more and you just sort of finished that, parked it, or do you still keep your eye on both? I, I, I'm definitely still super interested in psychology and obviously like working 
with people but that helps with with athletes, athletes, yeah, yeah massively helps as well because it's like I always say like broadly speaking you know people know fruits and vegetables are healthy and like people want to lose weight as well so what? Like, <laughs> not, not, not this one's dropping here um, but it's the actual behaviour, isn't it? It's yeah. the behaviour change, the habits, and actually putting into action that, that people struggle with. So psychology has such a big impact on it. And I suppose the turning point from psychology to nutrition was sort of towards the end of my degree where I was starting to think about think about jobs and think about, you know, what I want to pursue as a career. And yeah, that was yeah. at the point where I was, like, really into Muay Thai. And so it wasn't having people on the Shea Lounge tell us about your <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, psychology, there's just so, so much further study involved. Um, if I was looking to become a sports psychologist, so it would be, you know, I'd be like almost 30 like yeah. by the time I finish my further study. So that's uh, what, master's, then PhD? Yeah, master's, PhD, supervised study, yeah. yeah, man. It was like, I was like, I love psychology, but I'm just not willing to commit that many years of my life. And I was, at the point, I was ready to make my own money and yeah. um, start to have a career. So that was the point where, I suppose it was like... Um, uh, like it, it impacted a few of those things. Like I started fighting, got really interested in nutrition, yeah. um, starting to educate myself on it, and just the fact that psychology wasn't really a, like a reliable career path. Yeah, um, that I started to look into like nutrition courses and, and how I could educate myself. I'd imagine it's quite sort of once you're in with a certain team or company, sport they don't want to then lose you or bring off people in because otherwise you're just taking the tricks you taught them to mm-hmm. other. Actually, it's quite insular, so... Yeah, 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 definitely. But it's good that you had that that basis, so to speak, that foundation of psychology, and you can then apply that to your profession now. Yeah, massively. I, I use it every day as well, you know. I, did, I did music technology. Okay. So... Yeah. And look at the setup. It means nothing. <laughs> 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 I, I wasted two years, so full on. So at least you've done something, like you say, that you can apply later. Oh, right. I, I use it every day as well, yeah. and I think it's like an interesting... I suppose like extra extra thing to have, like yeah. actually knowing how you can help people put it into action as well. Because like if you're you're not really a coach, if you just say right, do this, follow the plan, go on, off you go. Yeah. It's like you've got to actually coach them through it and help yeah. people, and um, you know be emotionally intelligent and able to sort of yeah, like like work with them as a person. Like they're not robots. So. So what's your favourite thing about working with fighters specifically? I think just because. There's a, there's a certain personality type that you have with fighters, you know, tend to be like committed, dedicated, um, competitive, competitive, yeah, <laughs> yeah, binge eating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like we just share that that same passion. It, it makes it easier to identify with people. And I think, in terms of fighters working with me, the fact that I'm also a fighter, I think, um, you know, is a bit of an accolade. People know that I might have experienced what they've experienced. But it's not like got some like doctor or uni professor or something telling you what to do but they've not actually been in the trenches it's yeah. true though isn't it i mean especially i was we sort of spoke about it on i think it was episode two where we spoke about our origins and i yeah. was severely obese and whenever you'd go to the doctors you'd have a fat gp telling you that you need to lose weight and automatically you're like are you joking me like you're three times the size i am and you were telling me to lose <laughs> fat <weight. GP> is <laughs> but it's true isn't it like whenever you go and see like a health professional Nine times out of ten, they're not healthy themselves and they give you bullshit advice on BMI and things mm-hmm. of that nature without actually getting to the root cause and like you say, the psychology side yeah. of it where it's like, why have you got these unhealthy eating habits? Why are you this severely overweight and why can't you do anything about it? Whereas yourself, and I always look at like a PT, 
whenever I'm at the gym, we've got like PTs around the village, and it's like they're offering people one-to-one sessions, and I'm thinking, I'm in better shape than you are. Why yeah. do I need to pay you? You have to be like a product of your own yeah, of what you're like doing, your own case study. Precisely. Yeah. So I think as a fighter, that's what would attract me to use someone like you for, as a nutritionist because you know what you're talking about, the, like the proofs in the pudding, so to speak. Yeah. I work with a, um, a PT, Aaron Davies, that we spoke about a couple of times. And the reason I went to Aaron Davies is because he grapples. He's built like a brick shit house, so to speak. So when you look at him, it's like, well, yeah, that's how I'd like to look yeah. to a certain extent. That's how I'd like to perform. Plus, he does jujitsu, so he knows the, trish, the nutrition, the the things that I need to apply to what I'm doing every day. It's not some random guy who's been on bodybuilding.com yeah, and yeah, yeah. read a few nutrition plans and says, here's some broccoli, here's some rice, here's some, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just stick to that, it's fine. Did it's like a one-year course of college sort of thing yeah. and yeah. Yeah, think they're going to coach the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about you is obviously you're MMU certified, which is sort yeah. of like the gold standard nutrition nowadays, especially in the UK. Whenever someone looks up a nutritionist, if they've got that stamp next to their name, it's a that's a pretty big thing. Yeah, so massively. What yeah. made you want to take on that course, other than the fact it was so well well thought of? I suppose. So it wasn't actually the first course I did. So okay. pretty much straight out of uni, I did uh, precision nutrition level one. Yeah. Um, don't know if you guys have heard yeah, of them. Yeah, uh, Based in America, and that was good. It was like a um, that was a, you know another online course. It was. It was good, um, but at the end of it, I just didn't feel like knowledgeable enough to to really like coach the top level. I didn't feel like yeah. I'd. I felt like you know I could help people lose weight and stuff like that. But actually, for me, wanting to work with fighters and um, you know like optimize things as as much as possible, I just didn't feel like I'd you know once broke that ceiling to get to that real um, top level type thing. So after yeah. that, I felt like um, I could give some basic advice, but. I just didn't, you know, didn't feel to get to the satisfied, you know? science. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so that was very much like a habit-based thing, and it was good, and I, I, it was valuable. But um, after that, that was when I decided to do MNU because that was like, like you said, the gold standard. Yeah. And uh, initially, it was like I was sort of comparing the two, um, and obviously MNU is quite pricey, so I was like, right, I'll go for this one. Um, but in the end, the investment was, was massively worth it, and, yeah. and actually, what. Um, Sort of persuaded me into doing MNU was that I went to one of their uh, weight making workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, so they host these workshops like for anyone can come as well. In London, and stuff yeah, like that. yeah. Um, and so I went up to one of their, and this was after doing precision nutrition before doing MNU. Um, I just thought, right, this is perfect for me. Weight making workshop is exactly the sort of people I want to work with. It's the area I want to be a specialist in. And I just remember like talking to the other guys and girls on the day, and like the ones who are MNU certified. I was just like blown away how like knowledgeable and confident um they were and i was like that that's how i want to be i want to be able yeah. to talk on nutrition with that level of um, confidence and yeah competence ex- exactly yeah and they just um that was what sealed the deal for me really in, in terms of right it's going to be a big investment but um you know that that level is, is the end result of it and it, that will pay off over, over my career as well mm. and as well for me just feeling confident that i have like I've done everything I can. The to, best education. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I'm invested in that um, and that that will lead to better results and better business in the long term and that, you know, it's, it's all a gains momentum. And like I say, you can be confident that you've had the best education available to you in that particular sector. Exactly. And I think that that's a huge thing, especially, yeah. again, when you're trying to persuade clients, what, why use you over, over these three other people that may be a bit cheaper or mm. maybe have been doing it a bit longer? 
that you're better qualified. Yeah. So let's get into some nutrition talk now. Yeah, go for it. So for fighters especially, this is sort of why we do this podcast, is for combat sport athletes, be it amateur or professional. The sort of diet varies from person to person. Biologically, everyone's a bit different in what sort of foods sit well with them. I don't know, a lot of people are lactose intolerant nowadays. Some people, we spoke about it. Yeah, you, I'm not good with carbs. You're not good with carbohydrates, no. whereas my body soaks them up like a sponge. Um, <laughs> what do you think is the best diet per se? Is it a balanced diet? Is it? I know a lot of people stand by low carb, but for me, that's always been unsustainable. My energy levels plummet. So if you were taking on a brand new client per se, what would you, to start with, what would be the advice yeah, you give? the process? So, in our like, initial consultation, that mm-hmm. would be where we would decide what, what the best approach would be. And obviously, there's, there's obviously not, not one best diet, you know, blanket exactly. recommendation that exactly. you can give to everyone. And so, like you said, we're, we're all different biologically as well. Um, and, you know, in terms of our environment and upbringing and stuff like that. So, it's, it's about finding what has worked for them in the past, maybe, what maybe has not worked so well, and then using that as a sort of lens through which to select what, what what diet would work for them so like you said if you you know feel like you don't tolerate carbs too well or maybe they make you sleepy or something like that then maybe we look to more of a like moderate approach in that but in terms of the actual diet itself i wouldn't normally recommend cutting out any food groups mm-hmm. really um unless you're severely unless, allergic yeah yeah exactly so yeah if you're lactose intolerant but i'm basically. allergic to prawns no <laughs> no you have to stop cutting yeah. yeah we're um, trying with oysters instead <laughs> so i'd always lean i'd always favor a balanced approach and then you can refine and, and tweak things um from that and what's the first bit of advice you normally give like a prospective client is it sort of like throw everything you know out the window or is it Start start from scratch, or is it like well you've been doing <laughs> this right? Fridge, like yeah. No, but I mean for for me personally, like my diet's good six days a week, and then I always go to shit one day a week, mm. and I sit there and crunch Oreos, and like, before you know it, it goes to crap. And a lot of that is willpower. Mm. Like I struggle with the whole have a little bit, have eighty percent of your diet being these good foods. Stop yeah. cutting things out. Stop restricting certain things. But I'm just a person that if it's there, it gets eaten. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. That, that honestly I'm, I'm terrible with it so for me I'm one of the sort of the staple if it's not in the house if it's not available to me then that's better for me but that's yeah. difficult when you've got a family and things like yeah. that so how do you sort of start that process do you do it on a person by person basis on their circumstance on their previous experience yeah how, how would you start 100% that? on an individual basis like, like you said you're maybe not one of those people. I'm not really one of those people either who can just like have a few treats and yeah. just keep it in moderation. It's like the whole abstinence versus moderation thing. So can you, are you one person who can, you know, just have a cookie and leave it at that? And that yeah. allows you to feel like you've had a bit of flexibility. Or it's in your first Oh yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, from what, I've, <laughs> from what I've seen in fighters, like I think we tend to be more towards the extreme personality type yeah. thing. So we're more like, abstinence or yeah abstinence basically <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, it would always come down to the individual really um, and what I like to do is try and find the low hanging fruit so what is gonna what change is gonna have the biggest impact um, so like for you like you mentioned there it might be like controlling your diet at the weekend that you know if you if your diet is good six days of the week five days of the week and it, you're just sort of undoing your hard work on those two days of the weekend that, that would be 
where we focus. No, it's it's um, not even a joke, mate. It's so bad. Like, so if I'm at work and yeah. training and all these things, perfect. Fine. Yeah, perfect. I mean, because I've, I've got sort of like a schedule and I stick to it. These are the times I eat. These are the foods that are available to me. And that's it. It's yeah. done. And as soon as you sort of give me some freedom at the weekends, and I've got a bit of spare time on my hands. Ice then, cream cookie sandwich. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, I open a cupboard to sort of get myself some food because I'm never really at home. Yeah. So when I am at home, I open the cupboard and there's like the kids' food there, and I'm like, oh damn, <laughs> <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> Tubes of Smarties yeah. go missing. Like Emma's like, I bought this sticky toffee pudding. Where's it gone? And I'm like, it's all around my face. I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> like pack it under the sofa. Yeah, on that guy. But I mean, and those habits, unfortunately, come from my mother's the same. My mum's got some terrible eating habits and I think I've mm. sort of picked them up from her and I just can't can't get rid yeah. of them yeah and what, once you've picked them up as well it's hard to sort of get rid of them yeah. um, and so that's why it's like it's not like right if we were to work together I'd say right stuff all that out of the weekend like here's what you're going to eat blah 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 it's just not realistic no one's going to be able to do that you yeah. can't just go from one to the other like, you know, like flicking a switch. You know? Like the cliche, you tell someone not to do something and they're going to be like more tempted almost yeah. to do it. Yeah, exactly. There's a psychological word for it, but it's, it's, uh, it's escaping, it's right escaping right me right now. But yeah, it's like as soon as you say, like, you know, it's the, the, the like, classic experiments, like don't think of a white polar bear. Like everyone thinks of a white polar yeah. bear. It's like as soon as you're told not to do it or like you feel that sense of um, like restriction, you makes it worse. It, it makes it more appealing. It's yeah. like almost with the lockdown thing. As soon as people say, "Well, you can't go to the gym," it's like, "No, I'm going to go to the gym, gym yeah, even more." Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I might have had a rest day, but now yeah. I don't want to. Exactly. And so, do you find with nutrition specifically, and we're talking about sort of cheating diets? Mm. Do you believe in cheat days and things of that nature, or do you believe in look, make up eighty percent of your diet with whole foods, with good food, and then even if every day you have a little bit of something, is that good or is that throw it out the window? It's better to have a reward mechanism. I would definitely try and sway people away from using like terms like cheat days yeah. and stuff like that because it's like I, I very much like the idea that you're never. I suppose it's not like you're cheating on your diet because then that feeds into. The whole thing that I see with fighters just being completely on or completely off, right? Yeah. So either you're eating 100% like clean every day or you're just like eating shit like junk food yeah. um, three times a day. And I think having things like cheat meals or like, oh yeah, I'm just breaking my diet for this meal, it just feeds into that mindset. It so reinforces that yeah. those foods are bad and then you want them more. Exactly. Yeah. So what I like to do is like planning flexibility. So like for most people, it'd be a day of the weekend where you're just eating a bit more of a relaxed way. You're still... You know, maybe having the same number of meals, but maybe you're just um, treating yourself to dessert, or maybe like having a slightly different meal, slightly more indulgent meal than Free you normally packs would. Of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's it. It's yeah. like the difference in how you actually feel after a day of like relaxed eating, but still like um, you know not going crazy, versus yeah. like a cheat day. What the cheat day? It's like how you actually feel. It isn't that different, but the effect it has on your diet is massive. Yeah. So the the, the damage you do to it. Yeah, is greater than the actual reward. So a day of cheating on your diet is probably four days to then catch back up a bit. Yeah, exactly. yeah. and it's it's one of those things like you could diet hard all week and then be like, oh, I just had one meal that was unhealthy. Maybe you had a takeaway at the weekend, but that meal could be like starter, main, dessert, and then like beers and yeah. you know snacking on stuff. So actually, that is like. Although it's just one, one meal, meal it's, it's not. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, versus literally 
say you have three meals a day, one of those meals is like maybe a takeaway or something like that. Yeah. Just leaving it at that. Yeah. Or have a beer with yeah, your steak exactly. or something like that. Yeah. Just like feeling like he's like, oh, I just only had one meal that wasn't healthy. Like Doing things that, in moderation. Yeah. 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 So you're not a fan of sort of pulling out any specific food types. Talk to us about like the importance of glycogen, especially for fighters for recovery and performance. Because one thing we've been speaking about is like fat loss and weight loss mm. over athletic performance and muscle gain. And is there like a, a fine line between the two? Is there like a, a happy medium in which like one thing for me is that if I'm on a restricted diet, I think I over restrict to the point where my performance at the gym suffered. So I, I can't lift as heavy. I'm a lot more lackluster in the mornings. I struggle to get out of bed when we roll jujitsu and things of that nature. If I'm hitting pads, like I don't feel as though I've got as much energy, not as much explosive power. Mm. But then as soon as I indulge a little bit in these fatty foods or, yeah. or foods that I probably shouldn't be having or should be having it at least in more moderation, I've at least got the energy to perform at the gym and I, I smash everyone when I'm rolling and things of that nature. But it's like this catch 22 where I sort of want to be leaner and carry less weight to perform better mm. but then, then also feel yourself yeah precisely yeah it's definitely a fine line to be yeah. walking that between you know eating enough to feel through a performance so you're still feeling good during training and then eating little enough that you're actually losing weight assuming yeah. that is your goal mm. um for anyone that doesn't know as well so glycogen is just how carbs are stored in your muscles it's mm-hmm. a fuel store it's just energy and so if you're exercising at a high intensity that will be using those glycogen stores for energy basically um and so yeah like you said what i would recommend for that is tailoring the carbs to the intensity of the day mm-hmm. um that way you're like imagine you have like a budget for the week yeah. you're use you're consuming them when they're needed and when they'll be benefiting you um and then maybe if you're just doing some you know low intensity cardio or you've got like a rest day at the weekend then sort of pulling the carbs back a little bit there um and then you can um sort of place them where, where they'll benefit you during your sessions. And that's the same with calories as well. So obviously you've got carbs that will fuel your performance, but calories as a total source of energy as well. So I'd look to periodize that as well, which basically just means change it, but based on the day. Yeah. Um, so higher calories on your hardest training days to so say, you, like I don't know, on a Friday, you've got strength condition in the morning, sparring in the evening or something. So that's like quite a high intensity day. Yeah. That day you'd probably be having higher calories, higher carbs. You can fuel yourself. And then if Sunday's your rest day and you just do nothing all day, um, or you should go for a walk, don't really do any exercise, that would be when you'd be having, that's where you'd be creating most of the calorie deficit um, from that day where your energy needs aren't as high. So you're not then taken away from your training performance um, and you're, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes every bit of sense. I think the thing a lot of uh, combat sport athletes, myself included, and I know you've done it, is taking rest days and that psychological barrier that you think like if I take a rest day like a complete rest day I'm going to lose everything I'm going to lose everything my progress is going to go out the window I feel like shit I sort of get almost like restless restless leg syndrome yeah. where like I'm itching to do something and then so eating less sort of becomes a bit of a chore of anything mm. and I, I think well I'd rather just work out and then mm. I can still indulge in some more food but I have, I have hunger all the time like I, I could eat so all I'm, the time I'm fine Right up until like literally the minute we finish training, I'm like, I need to eat. Yeah. All day I can work, get up, go to work all day. And if it's like kettlebells or rolling or cycling, the minute I get back or stop, mm. 
I'm start, I'm like I'm so hungry when I get back from a ride. Ravenous. Or like yeah. from rolling or something like that. But all day I've got no appetite. It's really weird. I've started doing one of the things we implemented when I first started training with Aaron was like active rest days, sort of what you touched yeah, on. And then yeah, so it's not complete rest, but it's also not sat on your ass yeah. all day doing nothing. So even if it's like some stretching or some like bag work or a 45 minute walk yeah like that. Walk. That, that's what I normally do on my rest days I'm a big fan of that as well not like fighters are notorious for just like smashing it you know twice a day or whatever during training mm-hmm. going ham and then just lying on the sofa for the rest of the day yeah. and you know rest days just doing nothing so um, yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of keeping that active rest and recovery in this you're it, using your body as well it is yeah. that fighter's mentality isn't it like you say it's all, all or nothing, nothing and it's, 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 it's extremes that's one of the, the biggest things that I think hold fired back actually from from reaching their potential as well i know i've been there as well so I've, i can definitely see in myself i've got those tendencies as well and like, i remember it was especially um prominent when i was you know training when i was at uni and first time i was fighting and stuff like that trained so hard and then like every fight week i'd get ill because i was just so like run down run yeah. down i was just like i remember like i went for like i think maybe six weeks or something without like a single day off mm. um and it was, like looking back now i was like god such an idiot like how how would you do that but in the moment you're like i'm gonna give it 100 percent. Like, i don't want there to be any excuse any any excuse any any doubt in my head that my opponents trained harder than me or whatever like mm. um but i think that's something you see in a lot of fighters yeah i think everyone has made that mistake as well i know i've done it 10 times over mm. i think the problem at the moment is a lack of competition is what we were talking about so it's difficult to find motivation to stick to a nutrition plan to train with that intensity and yeah. sort of do everything right whenever i've got a comp booked in or something like that, everything gets dialed in mm. nutrition's a lot better because i know i've got to make weight yeah Every, everything because i want to perform i take my rest and recovery a lot more seriously i make sure i'm getting mm. a good amount of hours sleep i make sure i'm taking my supplements i make sure that i'm being sensible as yeah. opposed to at the moment it's sort of like almost like hobbyist like when we're allowed to roll, we get some rounds in. When I can lift weights, I'll lift weights. But it's like because I've got no target in mind, no yeah. goal in my head, it's like, well, it's sort of like yeah, past the like like motivation. Precisely. Like, right, this is all like helping towards yeah. this one thing. Yeah. I feel like you're sort of spinning your wheels a little bit. Exactly. And that, that's sort of it. I was stuck in limbo at the moment, especially like with that. these constant like Spinning the wheels. Mm. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your, your average day as a combat sports athlete? What does your average day look like in regards to your nutrition? Take us through sort of the moment you wake up, regardless of whether you fast or not. What do, what do your meals look like? So it, it changes actually, and I think it, it all comes back to the the sort of mantra of doing what works for you yeah. at the moment. So like I've been through periods in the past where I've like fasted um, for the morning and then had lunch and dinner, um, and that's worked for me. Then um, at the moment I'm just having three square meals a day, um, not doing any snacking. I'm finding that's working wonders for me in terms of just feeling completely satisfied throughout the day. I know we are talking about it a bit before the podcast, and I was saying um, it got to a point where, like in, ter- like, in terms of the numbers of my nutrition intake, it was all good, like, supporting my goals. But actually, in terms of how I felt, um, I was feeling, like, hungry a lot. I was, you know, you can almost identify in yourself. Like, you start to think about food um, just all the time. And I was like, I need to sort this out. That's right. This is not right. Yeah. That's right. And so I started focusing more on sort of, like, whole natural foods and just having three decent sized meals throughout the day rather than, you know, small meals, just snacking regularly. It's, I actually, I'm going to plug my recent video here, but I just put a video on YouTube. I was about um, to plug it. <laughs> Carry on. Um, and basically what I talk about in that is like, I call it the not quite cycle, where it's like, you're not quite satisfied and you're not quite hungry throughout the day and you just go through this like 
constant state of not being quite satisfied. And snacking does yeah. that. Like if you have like a protein bar, then you're like, well, where's the rest? Mm. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah, exactly. And it's something that I've seen in a lot of clients actually that I've um, worked with over the past few months. It's like, I'll, I'll get their food diet and it'll be like, snack, 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 snack. I'll be like, where's your meal? That's, that's <laughs> a meal. Yeah. You've had enough snacks there that you yeah. made up like 800 calories, which you could have had like a proper sit down <laughs> meal. Exactly. And like what I've been focusing on much more recently is... Like, like I was saying, like with the whole food, so making sure that your those three meals a day are full of like natural filling, like high satiety foods. You know, things like potatoes, like lean meats, vegetables, um, like fruits and stuff like that, and and the things that are nutrient dense. Yeah, to, exactly. So, like, so you supplement on top of that as well. Then, yeah, if, you're, if you can't get like a certain amount of X into the diet in the day, then do you? Yeah, so I, I'm not actually taking too many supplements at the moment um, just because of like, lack of competition yeah. and in terms of just, I feel like I can cover most bases for my diet, for my goal at the moment, which is just being healthy, mm-hmm. you know, staying like, relatively good in shape and, and just sort of keep ticking over. Um, but when I have a fight coming up, um, when I'm looking to dull things in a little bit more, get that extra, you know, 5% or whatever, that's when I would um, be using the supplements more. At, at the moment, I'm using um, vitamin D and fish oil. Um, and generally for fighters, I would recommend, so caffeine, I know like, a lot of fighters are a bit pre-workout fiends, um, so any pre-workout, pretty much the main beneficial ingredient would, would be caffeine, so looking to implement that before morning sessions, ideally not in the evening. Um, creatine definitely, so you can't really get the dose of creatine from whole foods, so that yeah. is one where like, I'd always like opt for a whole foods approach, you know, so... Um, aiming to get whatever vitamins and minerals you need from foods rather than going for a supplement. Um, but, you know, for things like creatine, it, it, it's basically impossible to do that. You have to like a thousand steaks. So while we're on the subject yeah. of creatine, because I've taken creatine, again, only when I'm training, but if I'm truthful, I don't actually under... It's just someone said, make sure you take creatine. What is the benefit of it? So what it does is it increases the amount of strength and power base that you can generate. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously as a like combat athlete, that's important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically just allows you to, to increase strength and, and power. Um, so then obviously if you can do that, you can lift more. Um, and then it just helps with athletic performance. It's essentially like explosive performance, basically. You use it as a recovery tool then? Um, I think there is some evidence to say that it, it can help support recovery. And I would say that that just ties in with, with the other with methods the approach, yeah. as well yeah and regarding time in creatine is there like an optimum time to take it is it like within 30 minutes of a workout there's not really like a, a big difference if there is any optimal time it would be post-workout mm-hmm. um but to be honest it's one of those ones you could take all any time of day really. and you see a bit and, and the percent difference is you know it might not even be a, a realistic percent in the, in the real world like it might not make any real real difference so what i would say in terms of like um, I don't know what, what sort of dose you were taking when you were having it. Literally one scoop. I don't. I couldn't even tell you what it was. It was <laughs> it's um, the more protein creatine powder, and so it's just and it, it advises on there one scoop a day. So mm. what I was doing is as soon as I finished my workout, I just chuck that. It wouldn't be in a shake. I just mm. chuck it with water. Even it, I've it's always done it post workout as yeah. well. So it's interesting to hear that you're actually better off pre. Yeah. No, no, no. Post, yeah, so within thirty minutes. If, if you're going to time it at any time of day, take it post workout. But it doesn't really matter. So right, you take okay. it in the morning. That's it. What matters is that you take it. You know. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like, dosing, so the way it's not like um, short term effects. It's not like if you take creatine pre workout, it's going to benefit you in that workout. 
it's the accumulation of it in your yeah. in your muscles. Um, and so you, you could just take like one scoop a day for I don't know, 20 days or something, and by that point your muscles would be saturated and you'd have enough to experience performance okay, benefit. Cool. Um, what you can also do, what I do and what I recommend, is to just load it for like five days, um, and that basically means your muscle stores of creatine just get full quicker. Um, and so what you would do then is take probably in, in terms of doses, about 20 grams a day. So maybe I think a scoop is about five grams. You take four scoops a day. You can spread them out as well. Um, and then after five days, you've like essentially loaded your muscles with it rather than it taking like 20 yeah, days over time. Because in the packet, you get like this tiny little scooper. Yeah. So whereas I got rid of that and I do one actual mm. large yeah. so, uh, like, so like, like a protein. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then essentially that's probably is like yeah, that, that's probably four one dose scoops. is probably four smaller yeah. doses. So yeah. you could do that for five days and then at which point they'd be pretty much fully loaded mm-hmm. and you just need a maintenance dose, so just like one yeah, of those small scoops yeah. per day. Oh, okay. And that would just keep them topped up. It's good to know. Yeah. It's a little little bit of ticket to take yeah. away from yeah. this as well. So your like regarding your three meals a day, your staple diet. What does your plate look like? What are you making up those three meals with? Like what percentage is protein? What percentage is carbohydrates? And what are you looking at nutrient-wise? Yeah, in terms of protein, generally, if you're going by like plate size, roughly a quarter of my plate would be protein. That's generally what I'd recommend as well. Um, in terms of like the, the dose as well, so for most people, probably somewhere between like 20 and 40 grams of protein would, would be enough per meal. Um, if you want to like... If you're a bit of a nerd like me and you want to get down into the numbers, I'd say 0.4 of a kilo, 0.4 grams per Per kilo, kilo, yeah, yeah, or 0.5, so... Of your weight? Yeah, of your body weight. So if you're 100 kilos, then 40 to 50 grams. If you're 50 kilos, then... And that's what, you were, that's what you were saying for a day, because some people... So no, so that would be per meal. Okay. And then you'd have... What I would say is, at the moment, I'm just having three meals a day, because... I just find it easier and I'm losing weight as well a little bit at the moment. For fighters, what I would generally recommend, especially if you've got a fight coming up, to have four meals throughout the day or four servings of protein. So if one of them is just you know a protein shake that can count as a meal, then you can have more substantial meals. Um, but I would try and get four servings of protein in throughout the day, evenly spread as well. So probably every three to five hours generally. And so what are you basing that on? Is that like, because I know a lot of, Trainers would say you need to have a kilo, um, sorry, a, is it a pound of protein per kilo body weight or whatever? Yeah, like, like a gram per pound. A gram, yeah. yeah, yes. So for fighters, generally, I'd say two, about two grams per kilo. Mm-hmm. Um, I work in kilos, so I can't do pounds. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah so. new money, not old. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, gen- I'd say the like optimal range somewhere between 1.8 grams per kilo and 2.5 grams per kilo. So. And do you find that a struggle to get that into your daily diet? Because oh. I find if I'm mixing things up a bit, if I, and I'm using this as a basis, so I'll have like a protein shake in the morning, mm. then I'll have like some tuna or some, some fish or something at lunch, mm. then I'll have a substantial meal in the evening, like some chicken or a steak or whatever mm. it is, some beef, whichever. And then sometimes when you obviously chuckle that into like my fitness power, you're like, well, I'm still only at like 140 mm. grams of protein today. Like, and then all of a sudden you've got to try and rack it up even yeah. more. So what I like to do is I like to divide it. So what I would do is give you like a total protein intake. So say like, just for argument's sake, um, 120 grams or something. So like that probably more suitable for someone like my size. Mm-hmm. 120 grams, then I divide that by four. So you've got four 
feedings throughout the day. Yeah. How much do you need to get at each feeding? So that'd be 30 grams each feeding. And then at each meal, if I'm hitting that 30 grams, I know by the end of the day that would have hit my yeah. target. So I'll break it down into like a per meal target. And then that means you don't get to the end of the day yeah. and you think, oh shit, I've still got to get an extra yeah. 30 grams in. Or, yeah. or when, when I started monitoring it, that's sort of what happened. I was like, oh, my protein intake's really low for what it mm-hmm. should be. So dialed it up and like you say, started tracking it per meal. But then also I before never took into account the other things that contain protein. Because you always whenever I think of protein, I just think of meat. Mm. But then like milk has some protein yeah, in it. Yeah. Even like nuts. Fiber, like yeah, nuts. Even fats. Like a, a wholemeal wrap has a degree of protein in it. And then once you started adding all those things, it's like, ah, now I yeah. see where it's coming from. Yeah. So but before that it was difficult to dial it in and go, oh well, this is how much protein. Envisaging that like meat. meat yeah. yeah, I was thinking, well, I have to eat seven packs of chicken today to, <laughs> to get my protein intake. This is, this, oh, I can't sustain it. Yeah. So it's like carnivore diet and it's like, well, that's all I'm eating is steak now just yeah. to get the protein up. But then you don't realise the amount of different foods. So separate to lean meats, mm. what other sources of protein are you looking at? Do you look at Greek yogurts? Do you look yeah, at yeah, 100%. Skier? Yeah. Are you on the skier? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the skier hype and the... Uh, have you seen those Arlo yogurts? They've got yes. like 20 grams on the side. Yeah. They're, they're That's pretty what good I, as well. They're yeah. great. Yeah, so yeah, things like that, like yogurts are great, Greek yogurts, skier, quark, um, like whey protein as well, um, all sorts. Yeah, so like as you mentioned, lean lean meats, poultry, uh, fish is another good one. Um, and then, yeah, you've got your like vegetarian sources of protein as well, so things like eggs, which I'd recommend for everyone as well, and then you've got like beans, legumes, you know, stuff like that, like chickpeas and lentils and, and stuff like that, so they, like, like you said, they can all add up throughout the day as yeah. well, even if, you know, per gram they don't have a ton of protein, but if you mix them a few together, then you can soon sort of get, get up there. So with meal ideas, your three meals a day, what do they normally consist of? I, don't like, I like to keep it fairly consistent each day, just, I'm a simple man, okay. I don't like to be <laughs> that too much, you know? I like I don't want too many decisions. Just um, sh- Chateaubriand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just basic stuff. Yeah, like that, yeah. Red wine, sauce. <laughs> potatoes. I will uh, have porridge pretty much for breakfast every day with some form of protein. So either one of those like protein yogurts or um, just like a, a protein shake. Yeah. Um, lunch normally be some sort of just lean lean meat plus vegetables plus a source of carbs basically. And if you want like um. You know, like a visual image, roughly like a quarter plate of lean meat, quarter plate of carbs, and then a half plate of veggies generally. Um, and do you stick the green veg or do you mix it up? I, I mix it up, just, just anything really, as, as much as I can get my hands on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so lunch and dinner basically follow the same template. So I'll base it around my protein. So whether I'm having, if I'm having fish, maybe I'll you know, have some like potatoes with it and, and, and veggies. Or if I'm having chicken, I might do like a stir fry or something yeah. like that. You know, but I find it always helps to base your meal around the protein and the veggies because um, they're essentially what you'd be wanting to get every meal. So every meal, you want to get one source of protein um, and, you know, at least one type of veggie. I'd normally recommend to mix it up and, you know, aim for two or three per meal. Yeah. Um, it's important to get like a variety of, of veggies in your diet. But if you if you base it around the protein and the veggies um, and then you can just sort of mix and match the carbs, and I, I find that it's a pretty simple template to, to work from. I always fall into the trick of like the packet sources as well. So mm-hmm. I'll have like a really, or what I think is a really healthy meal, like you say, almost like a chicken stir fry. Yeah. And you'll have like some really good vegetables and stuff like that, and then you'll buy like a, a satay sachet, mm-hmm. and it's just not, like, it's full of sugar. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's like you fall into that 
that trap of trying to make it taste better than really probably what it needs to. It's just mm. that you, and I know you mentioned it on that YouTube video actually, in that you've almost tricked your body into needing sugars and wanting that sweet taste. Whereas if you actually dialed everything back and got used to eating whole foods all the time, yeah, that would yeah. be enough. Yeah, definitely. It's that, just that our palates are sort of accustomed yeah, to these, exactly. these horrid sugar you keep, food. You keep triggering that, triggering the brain, keep giving it. It's like almost the carrot on the end of the stick. You keep getting, oh, here's a little bit, here's a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, and it, I find it can just sometimes, if you're just constantly having those, like... It hinders uh, more than it helps. Yeah, those yeah. Like, hyper foods. Um, but like foods that are really tasty, the things that are high in fat, high in salt, high in sugar. Mm. It's it's harder because that becomes your like normal taste. So you're, And then if you... You know, like I'll give the example as well of people who like basically can't have veggies on their own because they're like, oh, they're too boring and stuff. It's probably because you have so much like sugary, fatty, salty foods that these like natural flavors they don't hit the taste. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what, in terms of personally, I've been focusing on recently is dialing back things like that. So like the pre-packaged sauces and trying to. That's one thing. Since listening to your YouTube video, that's one thing that I took from that video. Is like, right, I'm going to pull back on those things and sort of try and restart yeah. my taste buds mm. to just those whole foods will then be enough to exactly. And it doesn't have to be flavourless as well. Like I'm, I'm really starting to get into using things like seasoning and, and stuff like that, which are um, like herbs and spices that, that are great for you and basically. Add, James's tasty veg book out <laughs> for Christmas next yeah, year. Well, that, I mean, that leads on to one of the questions that we were sort of saving for the Q and A. But if while we're here, we may as well mention it. So, if you had to have like, three seasonings in the cupboard at all times, which Ooh, three are you going to put? That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. That's a good question. Three seasonings, right? It would be chili, mm-hmm. uh, garlic. What's the third one? <laughs> Let me have a think. Mine probably like chili uh, paprika. Or oh, yeah, I'll go yeah. paprika. Yeah, maybe paprika or lime. Can I have lime juice? Oh, lime, that yeah, lime is a good one, yeah. Chili, garlic and lime, probably. <laughs> Can I have lime? <laughs> no! It's not dry enough. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. chili, garlic and lime. That's mine. Chili, garlic and lime. That's a really good one. I never use lime. Mm. and I probably should because I really like the taste of lime. But I've <laughs> never got it in the house. It's always one of them things that you go to Asda and you walk straight past. No, no, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot lime again. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, see, that's one of those things. It's one of my free as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can add a lot of flavour with basically zero calories, like things like lime and you know, dry seasonings like that. And it's not like if you're having you know, lemon, lime, whatever. It's, it's antioxidants. Yeah, right. yeah, and it, it's adding like, liquid as well. It's not just, like completely dry yeah. seasoning. So. Sick. That, yeah. that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good question. I like uh, yeah, I'm going to um, change my diet up. Like I say, I've been watching a lot of your content and reading through a lot of your Instagram and stuff like that. Long before, as you know, I've been probably following you on Instagram for about two years on my personal Since the account. beginning. Yeah, yeah. For, on my personal account. And then it is since getting you on as a guest as well, I've been making sure I'm engaging with all your content to, to make sure we can have a, have a good chat today. And one of the things I've definitely taken on board is, like I say, dial back those packet sources and those things that have hidden calories yeah. and hidden sugars and salts Salt, and yeah. stuff like that and, and try and put them so, back. And it's, so, it's not always the case that you've got to completely cut them out, but it's just being mindful and sure. being aware that, especially if you're some, like, like you mentioned, you feel like you're sort of hungry all the time, thinking about food a lot, that could be something to look to, to change in. Because even though like the meal overall looks healthy and feels healthy it, it's little things like that that you mentioned yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of that feeling hungry all the time as well again that's because of a lack of competition because mm. when again when it's dialed in and I have other things to focus on that goes out the window but at the moment with 
how lockdown's been and you're spending more time at home therefore yeah. you're around all surrounded these foods. by food especially like you know if you live with other people who obviously they've got their, their own foods and stuff in and maybe they're not trying to diet or yeah. for whatever reason um, yeah, I can't say to, I can't say to my six year old stepdaughter yeah. you can't eat this anymore yeah. because I can't have it it's, it's not lying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I think once again once some form of normality comes back then it will go to a case where you, I can dial things in again so let's move on to combat sports specifics let's talk about weight cutting because mm. that, that's a big one I know there's a lot of advocates for reducing the amount of fighters cut we see in the UFC all the time about Multiple people missing weight, weight. Yeah. so what, what sort of process do you go through when looking at one how much is like a safe amount of weight to cut for a fighter and two how you go about that process of cutting the weight safely over a period like we saw Mike Perry recently on UFC where he was oh, like man. I know but even he knew it that, yeah. that's what I didn't get like posting stuff during a fight week two weeks before yeah. he's like sat there eating steaks he's like might struggle to make weight it's like you knew in advance yeah. like, why don't you dial it back sooner so yeah, talk, talk to us about your process. So yeah, so my process would be generally, so in terms of, I almost work back from, from the weigh-in. So say they've got to be this weight, I would say a safe percentage to cut over the last fight week. 100%, no more than 10% of your body weight. So if you're a fighter who's listening now, and over that last fight week, you cut more than 10% of your body weight, that is too much, and you're almost definitely harming your performance. I'd say optimally, probably six to eight percent of your body weight you'd want to cut in that last week for MMA as well. So, talking about day before weigh-ins, MMA or Muay Thai, if you're doing in this country, it's a day before weigh-in, so you might weigh in, you know, midday, and then the next day you'll fight in the evening. So you've got a lot of time, probably about thirty-six hours to recover. Um, then you could cut six to eight, definitely no more than ten percent. Um, if it's the same day weigh-in, that's a whole different story. Um, but I'll stick with the day before weigh-ins now because that's, that's the most common yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so weigh-in weight, work it back to what they need to be at the start of fight week. So that's like, right, so from where you are now, say they come to me eight weeks out, um, the start of their camp, then you work out how much they've got to lose to get to that fight weight week. And then that's where you would work out how to create the deficit over, over that you know eight-week 10 week sometimes six week period of, of the fight camp and that's where you know it's a bit of an art and a science in terms of balancing the weight loss so they're losing weight that's going to allow them to make weight safely but they're not um making it essentially just become a fat camp where they have to just like diet and, and they're trained they're still got to be able to perform yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it's, it's towing towing that line there's a risk over reward i imagine is there a guideline regarding calorie deficit for if you have a deficit of say 400 calories a day this is how much weight you'll lose does it depend on obviously imagine the heavier the person like when anyone goes on a diet the first few weeks because they're heavier they've got more to lose it comes off a lot quicker so but yeah regarding calorie deficit is there like a if you have a 400 calorie deficit a day this is how much you'll lose a week yeah so generally the so trying to convert between kilos and pounds here so 3500 calories at a weekly level, so 500 calories a day, that would be one pound per week. So, okay. um, which is basically half a kilo. Half a kilo, yeah. yeah. So two point two pounds to a kilo. Yeah, and, and that's like the that's like the guideline sort of mm-hmm. thing. So it's, it's not like I said, it's not always an exact science. If you're, you know, there's errors in estimations, errors in tracking, and stuff like that. So it's all 
there's all a degree of guesswork and a degree of estimation and um, sort of tweaks and refinements you have to make as you go on based on progress. But generally, yeah, 3,500 calories a week, that would lead to half a kilo roughly per week weight loss. And is that what you would advise a fighter? Because obviously, if they come in and they've got a lot more to lose, like Khabib, mm. for instance, has been known, he fights at lightweight, but he's been known to walk around at 205 yeah. pounds at the time. <laughs> Big old boy. Yeah, and you yeah. can imagine that he's going to need a bit more than eight weeks to be able to do that safely. Yeah. So, dialing it back, what do you sort of say to say for myself, for instance? I'm currently walking around at like, I think I was 87 kilos yesterday. I compete at 85, I like to walk around at 85. So, if you were to reduce my calories, what would you put that down to per week? What would be, instead of losing like half a pound a week, what would you say is a safe amount to lose per week in, in the lead up to a fight without, without risking any athletic performance? Mm. So. so, I'd say. Between half a kilo and a kilo per week, you can do reasonably without too much um, damaging of your training performance. That's like a pretty moderate um, rate of weight loss. If, if you're in a position where if you lose half a kilo per week and you that, make quite. that yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of guys they'll they'll come to me and yeah, it'll be right. They need to lose more than half a yeah. kilo per week, and then you just have to increase the amount of deficit over uh, based on how much they need to lose. But if someone needed to lose more than 1.25 or maybe 1.5, definitely more than 1.5 kilos a week, then you need to between camps. So yeah, but I, I would say for anyone listening, if you get to a, a weight, you know, pre-camp where you can lose half a kilo to a kilo per week over the next, you know, six to eight, whatever, whatever many weeks. And if that puts you at a good weight at the start of fight week, then then that's fine. Yeah, that's doable in that yeah. 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 Any more than that, then you need to, like you say, consider different weight classes or perhaps yeah. dialing it in. Yeah. And it, <laughs> before that, yeah. Period. Don't leave <laughs> it to the last minute. Well, that's it. And that's something I find with a lot of fighters as well because it's sort of a vicious cycle, isn't it? You gain so much weight between fights that you have to really restrict yourself over the eight weeks leading up it to it. makes you miserable. It makes you miserable. You're in such energy deficit. Like, your body is deprived of, you know... Thousands or if not tens or hundreds of thousands by the time you've reached the end of your camp. And that's when things happen. Like, you know, you feel like, I know I've been there as well early in my career where you feel like you can't stop eating. And, you know, maybe your family or your girlfriend or whatever are saying, how are you eating all this food? But it's, it's almost not a lack of willpower. It's because your body has literally been deprived of energy yeah. um, over the past, you know, however many weeks. It, it drives you, like your appetite and hunger, your body drives you to consume all these calories back so I, when we did a competition in Southampton we um, all cut a little bit of weight and obviously that's a bit different to MMA because it's like you weigh in 10 minutes before your bracket starts yeah, but we, yeah. all, we all cut I'd say a good couple of kilos yeah. each and I've never seen you eat so much in my life as to post that competition right. we went to a place called Sadler's Barbecue mm. in Southampton and you ordered the ultimate platter, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, it was like a burger which literally stacked this high with all sorts, coleslaw and everything. And I'm heavier than James and I've been fat, so I'd like to think that nine times out of ten I've got a greater appetite than you have. And you inhaled yeah. <laughs> this post-fight meal. It was gone in an instant. And I'm struggling halfway through and you just inhaled the entire oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. But you see that all the time. That's the like, same thing I was saying earlier. Like, I'm not... That's not just, all right, yeah, I cut weight for the comp, but that's, 
I don't need, oh, I can't snack, I can't graze. Mm. So like, I will eat when I really need to eat. Okay. Like, I won't eat till tonight now. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not sitting here like, oh, God, I'm really hungry. But when I'm hungry, it's like, right, I'm hungry. I need okay. to eat. Yeah. So, so it's weird. But it's I've, not like persistent. It just, no. it comes when it comes. And I've always yeah. been like it. Like my, my, my parents said, like when I was younger, they used to think like, fucking hell, he's, he's not actually eating. Like mm. what's going on? But then in the evening, yeah, the gloves is off. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've seen it. It's impressive. But <laughs> it'll come around my house for dinner because like, we get together quite a bit and you'll come around and then whatever everyone else has left, James will eat because <laughs> he's not eating all day whereas everyone else is like right I'm done with my meal yeah. James is like you can finish that and then, are you going to finish that and all of a sudden all this extra food comes James's way and he eats a lot and it makes no sense to me so going back to calorie deficits there's got to be a point that too, too much of a calorie deficit is detrimental yeah. can you lose the same amount of weight so let's say say you have 2,000 calorie guideline a day and you're not 400 calories off that, so you're only eating 600 calories, um, 1,600 calories, sorry. Could you get away with losing the same amount of weight but having 2,000 or is it purely based on what you're using energy-wise? So obviously a calorie deficit is created by one, dialing back what you're eating, but two, burning calories as well. So can you get away with losing the same amount of weight, eating 2,000 calories as potentially you could eat in 1,600? Is there too much you can cut off where at some point you're not gaining anything from it. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of an art in, in finding the balance. So, what, yeah, what you can do, say like 2,000 is your like maintenance, right? So you, if you eat that, you won't gain, you won't lose weight. You could take some away. Um, like you said there, like reduce 400, 500 calories from food or you could do more exercise to burn that amount of calories. But I think like doing either on their own isn't normally great because your body generally speaking doesn't want to lose weight right um yeah. in like a evolutionary sense weight loss would, would mean you know bad things for the yes. brain yeah exactly <laughs> um and so what you might find is like when you increase that exercise your activity throughout the day really drops off so like you know we've all been there like i know i've definitely been there like for some like when i've been training in thailand where the volume of training goes up so much that when you're not training, you're just like dead to the world, mm-hmm. lie on your bed, <laughs> just do nothing. Thermogenesis, your yeah. body goes all hot and you're just broken. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's um, neat is, is the word for it. So non-exercise activity thermogenesis, basically just calories you burn just through walking and moving around, you know, stuff like that. And what you'll find is either when you, when you, when you go too much, your body can drop that off as a way to conserve energy. Mm-hmm. So if it senses that you're not getting enough energy in sometimes those things can drop off and that's why it's useful to make sure you know having things like step counts or you know the classic diet advice of like take the stairs instead of the elevator little things like that do add up park further away yeah exactly um (laughs) no but it works it does work a lot of people a lot of nutritionists will say like you can dial all these things back but even just increasing your steps from five thousand to ten thousand a day yeah. as it is that sounds it makes a difference like james was saying this morning one of the yeah, big yeah. things when he got lean was it's our friend james one day by the way mm. he um oh, there's a lot of james right? yeah there is a lot of james <laughs> there's one of the things that sort of led to him getting so lean was the fact he dialed his nutrition back but was the fact that he walked for 45 minutes in the morning and 45 mm. minutes in the evening with just a pack to, with a pack in, yeah. to, to, to get his step count yeah. up and that was one thing that he done and that he thinks that, that he attributed 
yeah. the, the difference in how his appearance to yeah. solely doing those two 45 minutes a day. And that's it. It's, it's creating the calorie deficit from like a few different areas, right? Yeah. So maybe slightly increasing training a little bit or doing walks and, and things like that and then slightly reducing the amount of food. But um, making sure that you're like getting the most bang for your buck in terms of your food. So if you're eating like protein bars and you know stuff like that throughout the day, um, you're not really getting the most bang for your buck. You want to be eating fruits and vegetables and stuff and then you're optimally fueling your body and you're feeling full yeah. from that. Um, so like a common like um, like criticism of like the calories approach, like the science-based approach is that, so you're just saying 200 calories of apples is the same as 200 calories of Mars bars. It's like, no, that's <laughs> like a straw man argument. Um, <laughs> but like, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that the, the calories you're eating, you want to be getting them from the best food sources as Satiating possible. Really. Yeah, foods and nutrient-dense. Yeah, nutrient-dense, um, simple foods, basically, minimally processed. So going back to weight cutting, because we've gotten slightly off target there, regarding that last week, mm. uh, in which you said it's like a, a 6 to 8% sort of the golden percentage, any higher than that, you're, you're risking a few things. How are you cutting that last percentage weight that week? Are you dialing back nutrition? Are you going mainly on a water cut? I mean, the time of like seeing fighters in salt baths and sauna suits and stuff like that, it's sort of becoming less and less now. Yeah. But I know at least back in the sort of the glory days of UFC, you saw people crippling themselves in that mm. last week trying to make weight uh, and sweat water out. So what are you doing? What, now, yeah, yeah, what advice are you giving your fighters in that last in, in fight week that last week? Yeah, thankfully now, like over the past few years, like nutrition for combat sports has skyrocketed and. Um, Thankfully, it's a lot safer and more evidence-based now. Cheers, but... Mike Dolce. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fucking unit. Yeah. Jesus. Um, oh, it's funny because of like COVID, I've not done any weight cuts like since earlier this year, so I'm trying to cast my mind back. But it's essentially you, you a bit, a bit like with the calorie deficit, you want to get the weight loss from a lot of different places, right? So yeah. like you mentioned with the UFC guys back in the day, you know, the days of like UFC 1, they were like, just sit in a sauna, sweat out five kilos, ten kilos, whatever, and you know, put themselves on death's door. But also, they could rehydrate with an IV back then, so it was, it was a lot different. And they were on all the Mexican yeah. supplements, <laughs> getting a little extra bonus. Yeah, a bit of and jabs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that example of like sitting in a sauna, doing all your weight from the water cut, is taken all the way you're losing is coming from your your body's water, basically. Um, and there's only a certain amount you can lose from that before, you know, it's really detrimental to your health. So what I like to do is take that weight from as many different places as possible. Um, and there's, I'll, I'll go through all the methods I use and stuff, but they're varying degrees of risk. So losing water weight through like sweating, that is one of the higher risk um, tactics where like obviously you've got Your performance organs. risk, but also yeah. health yeah. Um, and, and death in, in some cases, unfortunately. Um, so... From, from the start of fight week, what I generally do is I get fighters to water load, um, which basically involves drinking a lot of water. Um, How much is a lot? A lot would be roughly, so if you're, so there's one litre per 10 kilos you weigh. So if you're 60 kilos, 6 litres, 70 kilos, 7 litres, it's a lot of water, yeah. <laughs> you're going to repeat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you do that probably from, from the Monday to, um, let, let's, let's do it for the example of a Saturday weigh-in. Um, so Monday to Thursday, you drink that, that amount of water. And then the day before the weigh-in, you'd cut it off and you would have 
Um, so if you've been drinking six litres, you would then have 600 millilitres, um, seven litres, 700 millilitres, basically, mm-hmm. and spread that throughout the day. Um, and then basically what that does is your body gets used to taking all this water, basically peeing pee it out, yeah. um, and then you cut off the water, and it takes a little time for your body to catch up, basically. So you keep peeing, um, but you're not taking any water in, so you end up at a net water loss, basically. Um, and that is a method that's super low risk. Um, you're not, as long as you're not, you know, consuming such high volumes that you're getting into the realms of like hypernatremia. Um, but if you go by the numbers I've said there with whatever it is, 0.1 times your body weight um, in litres, then then that's fine and, and you're not at risk with that. So that's like quite a low risk method basically. Um, so that would be number one. Other methods I would use over, over the fight week as well. So for guys, if you're doing... Let's talk about like the day before weighing, right? Okay. So um, just because that's a common one, especially with MMA and Thai boxers, yeah. um, I'd look at cutting carbs over the week as well. So like we spoke about earlier, you've got your glycogen stores in your muscles. So for each gram of glycogen, you also um, store you hold on to three to four grams of water as well. So once you lose those glycogen stores, you lose that water retention with it as well. So if you've ever gone on a low carb diet, lost loads of weight. A decent proportion of that weight would be from the glycogen and, and the water, um, but that just means over fight week doing a low carb diet. So, if you want numbers, maybe aiming for less than fifty grams a day. Um, you know, sort of into almost like keto territory there, getting super low carbs. Um, that will allow you to lose that glycogen, lose that water weight as well from your body. So most people just through doing that can lose you know a few percentages. Their body weight could be up to like a few kilos, um, and as long as you're as long as you have a day before weigh-in, mm-hmm. so you've got enough time, you know, at least 20, 24 hours to replenish yeah. those carbs, then you're all good. If you're doing a same-day weigh-in, I would keep carbs high, and that would be a more last resort yeah. thing to cut because, obviously, low carbs aren't going to um, affect your health, but it is going to affect your performance yeah. if you've not got enough carbs. So we've got the water loading, we've got the carbs. Other things would be low-fiber diet. So this is probably one of the most underused um like strategies by fighters, it just seems like no one's using it. Um, but it's super effective and basically zero risk. So just for two to three days before the fight, you would cut out fiber. So that means no like whole grains, which you probably wouldn't be having anyway if you're cutting out the carbs. Um, no fruits, vegetables are, are a real minimum. So either no vegetables or if you can't do that, I know like it doesn't feel right for a lot of people, and you know some people are uncomfortable with that. Then having like low fiber veg, so veg where you've like peeled the skin off so maybe like cucumber that, that's peeled or you can get some canned veg that's as lower in fiber as well but basically you go low fiber for a couple of days before the fight and what that does is it just reduces the amount of gut residue so at any given point in the time um depending on the amount of fiber we have um you've got some like undigested food in your gut basically and reducing the fiber just allows that to pass through clear out and then you know that can be half a kilo to a kilo that you lose Jesus. just Especially if you are starting with a relatively high fiber diet, um, or at least getting you know enough fiber, yeah. um, then that can you know be like a no-brainer. You can lose like a decent amount of weight, and you know for you guys who've cut weight before, knowing that you've got half a kilo or a kilo less to do in the sauna, <laughs> it's, uh, it makes a big difference. <laughs> and then what you'd want to be doing as well over those last few days is um, reducing salt as well. Yeah. So salt's an electrolyte, and it. Um, allows you to retain water basically. So the theory goes that by reducing the salt, you don't retain the water. Don't retain the water. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. And, and then you, you would get to 
the I would say 24 hours before that's when you would want to be doing um, dehydration basically and what I prefer and what I find a lot of my clients prefer is active sweating so you've got active which would be like um, doing pad work and some extra layers or, or even a sweatsuit something like that that's yeah. active as opposed to passive which would be sitting in a sauna sitting in a, a because I think with um, passive I've done passive sitting in a sauna is fucking miserable because all, all you think about all is you how shit you feel yeah, exactly whereas yeah. at least when you're hitting pads or like, say you're, even if you're doing like a, a state steady walk and mm. you've got a bit of weight or something, like you're doing something you're doing something even if you just put the incline on yeah. and you've got a sweatsuit on or you're on the assault bike but at low intensity something like that at least you're thinking about the other activity yeah. but passive it is just miserable isn't it yeah yeah 100% so <laughs> generally again with all things and that seems like that's coming out as a bit of a theme here is, is taking it from different areas mm-hmm. so with, with the weight loss maybe you would do so there's no one stop shop exactly so maybe just I'd vary as well like if you've got you know however like a couple of kilos to lose in a bath or in a sauna it can feel like a insurmountable you know mountain basically but if you do a bit of pads, that gets the kilo off. You do a bit of walking or whatever that is a little bit. And then you do a little bit of bath maybe at the end of the day. And you've got like 0.5 of a Exactly. It's just a few little areas gets you within touching distance. And psychologically, that's got to be yeah. a lot better for... Exactly. You're varying it up. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so I wouldn't look at doing any of those methods longer than, you know, 24 hours before the weigh-in really. So it would only really be evening before and morning of. Um, depending on you know how much weight you have to lose, generally in terms of dehydration, two to three percent would be what I'd be looking at of your body weight. Um, ideally, not more than that. Um, once you get to the realms of like five percent, that's when you start uh, having a risk to your health, basically, yeah. and performance as well. So, if you can get to a weight where you know through all those other methods I've talked about through fight week, you're you know two or three percent and you've just got a little bit to lose, then you're, you're all good, basically. Um, so post-weight post cut, once yeah. you've made weight and hopefully successfully made weight, how are you going to replenish your energy, your glycogen stores, your water? Like, what are you doing from sort of the moment they get off the scales? What's, take us through what you're going to do for the next 24-hour, 36-hour period to get fight ready. Yeah, so th- this is probably more important even, even than the weight cut itself. Because yeah. if you, you know, mess up or don't take a... You know, scientific approach to your refuel, then it doesn't it. doesn't matter if you've made weight. Yeah, um, I've seen it. We've had guys in our gym that have yeah. made weight and then they've made themselves so sick refueling mm. in the twenty four to thirty six hours before that they've had to put out the fight. Yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's been brutal. Yeah, I've seen guys refueling with a can of coke and a donut kebab. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy what people get away. It with. Might be the same fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, there's generally two goals you aiming for post weighing so rehydration um which would be the, the biggest priority um and it's also like the quickest to to restore um and then also replenishing your glycogen stores through eating carbs basically um and so in, in terms of the amount of carbs to eat i'd be aiming to eat five to ten grams per kilo mm-hmm. so if you're 100 kilos if you're a big guy 50 uh sorry 500 to a thousand grams of carbs obviously for most people would be less um than that, and generally, that will allow you to maximally um, replenish your, your carb stores, basically, from that low-carb diet. So, yeah. I say five. Five, um, I'm lost on the maths again. Um, five, five grams per, no, 500 grams 
a kilo. Well, I'm confused myself now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a mind blank. It's been so long since I've done a wake up. Um, so if I was 60 kilos, it would be 300 to 600 grams of carbs, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I know it in terms of the weight, but I'm you know, having to cast my mind back to all my lectures and stuff. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the thing is, the easiest way to put it across is by using your yeah, own experience. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. you know, by exactly. so if you're like a 70 kilo fighter, um, like probably like the average weight, 700 to 350 grams of carbs would maximally replenish you, basically. Um, so that's the carb sorted, and generally you'd want to be getting that from um, fairly high GI sources, so not like brown rice, brown bread. You generally be going for like the white version, so white bread, white rice, um, and things like that aren't too high in fiber. Um, and then you'd want to be having a fairly low fat diet as well, so fat would slows down your digestion um, and you want to be taking those carbs on as quickly as possible basically I didn't know that um, that's, that's, yeah so generally after a weigh in I would say protein um, just your normal daily target of about 2 grams per kilo would be good um, plus the amount of carbs that I've said there and then what you don't want to do is suddenly have a super high fibre diet that's when you'll start getting like stomach issues and stuff like that if you've been low fibre for the past 2 or 3 days and then you suddenly start eating Crank tons and tons of veg, it will give you some Not bloating good. and yeah. um, stomach issues. So generally keep fibre fairly low um, and keep fat fairly low as well because you want to get those calories in from protein and carbs because they will benefit you um, in the in the refueling period before the fight. Yeah. In terms of water as well, um, so you want to get a rehydration drink. Generally I find a mix of, so you have a one litre drink, half a litre of like Lucozade or Powerade, half a litre of water, um, that would generally allow you to refuel and get a good balance between getting some carbs in from the sports drink and then also getting water in as well. Um, and so you just drink that after the weigh-in, immediately after drink, um, 600 to 900 millilitres, um, and then roughly one, about one litre, one and a half litres per hour um, after that based on how much you've lost. So say over the, in, in the sauna or the sweating, you lost three kilos for the next hour, for the next three hours, you'd be having a litre per hour to, to replenish, replenish that and then just carry on drinking as normal throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, I've seen some real, real big mistakes in, in regards to people cutting a lot of weight, like 10 to 20 pounds away. Mm. And then as soon as they weighed in, they go for a steak dinner. Yeah. And it's just... It, say, well. it ruins them. Like, yeah. I've seen people being sick. Like, yeah. Even I remember at the last shock and all, someone threw up in the stairwell and it was after they had made weight. I mean, some of that can obviously be attributed to nerves and things as well. But I think they had made weight and then started eating like carbs mm. and the real starchy like pasta and things like that, but it too much mm. and just made themselves sick. And all of a sudden they're having to put out the fight because yeah. they, they can't then get back to where they should be ready for competition yeah it's crazy how after that whole week of you know really restricting what you eat and having to be really dulled in with your nutrition and then essentially messing up the refuel period so we're going to go into some of the questions and answers let's go into a little Q&A session now we've got about just shy of 20 questions here I think from different people on Instagram and people we've met and sort of knew you were coming on the podcast so if it's cool with you yeah. we're just going to run through some, some quick fire, fire questions first of all what's your favourite dinosaur 
favourite dinosaur? <laughs> uh, Velociraptor. Good shout. Good dinosaur. That's solid choice. That's a question for yeah. us. So yeah. we're, we're going to start asking every guest that, I think. So we've got a good one here. So diets to maintain good performance in training versus diets for aesthetic reasons, bodybuilders diet. That's a, that's a good question, actually. Yeah, so it, it was almost like you said back at the beginning, back in the day when you first started training, looking at bodybuilding.com, and that stuff, I, I, I've talked about that quite a bit as well. Yeah. I remember being there myself um, and just being so confused, like saying... Flex Lewis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Watching Ronnie Coleman videos, thinking it applies to jiu-jitsu and yeah. And so probably the biggest difference between those two diets would be the performance aspect of it. So obviously bodybuilding is in its own sense of sport um, but the performance requirements are so different from combat sports as well um, that essentially it's the need for carbs so you do still need carbs for performance in strength like weightlifting sports but not to the extent that you do with combat sports um, and so that's why on bodybuilding websites you can see them recommending a low carb diet um, to lose weight and get yeah, stage ready and yeah. stuff like that um, and it you know, through reducing the calories from reducing the carbs, it, it is an effective diet for weight loss. But if you're a combat sports athlete and you're going low carb, you're just, you know, you'll be running on fumes and, and you won't, you'll find yourself not able to hit that top gear in training. You know, if you ever have those days, and there's a variety of reasons that can cause this, but probably one of the most common is not consuming enough carbs. Um, it, it's, you know, you have those days where you feel like, you know, you just can't push that extra bit. Yeah. You feel like, you know, you've almost got a ceiling on your performance. It's because you haven't got those glycogen stores, you haven't got that energy to push that, you know, last top percent of, of, of intensity. Uh, next one, really good answer, by the way. Uh, next one, best foods to keep your glycogen stores filled after training. So post-training, what's what sort of your meal going to consist of? So, yeah, generally be looking to consume carbs in, in your post-training meal as well, as well as pre-training. So you want to ref refuel replenish those stores before your next session. And again, that's going to be based on the intensity of the training. Like yeah, exactly. Done and, yeah. exactly. And so to clarify as well, if your, if your session is, you know, less than 90 minutes or 90 minutes, then your carbs from just consuming normal meals throughout the day will be plenty to fuel that. Um, as long as you're just, you know, having a portion of carbs at each meal, you don't need to worry about specific fueling before or after the session. If you're training twice a day or if your sessions are longer than an hour and a half, that's when you'd have to start looking at um, making sure you're getting some carbs in pre-workout um, and post-workout as well. In terms of some good foods, you know, any, any sources of carbs really. Um, if you have a short window between training sessions, that's when I would look to consume in slightly higher, um, faster, faster digesting carbs. So things like, um, like honey maybe, like bananas, um, or maybe like even sports drinks or dextrose or stuff like that. But for, you know, 90% of people I speak to, you've got, you know, longer than six hours between sessions. So just having a, a, a normal portion of carbs. So um, rice, you know, bread, uh, potatoes and anything like that, really. And, and is there only benefit over white rice and brown rice or white <laughs> brown bread and white bread? It sounds silly, but it's one of the questions yeah. someone asked. So we have to ask. Yeah, definitely. And I remember back in the day as well thinking like, oh, can I not lose weight because of, you know, the differences between white bread versus brown bread. And there are some differences. Um, in terms of actual calories they could, they contain, it's not really a big difference. But the, the sort of brown whole grain ones contain more fibre, so slightly better for you, slower digesting as well, less refined. So in terms of, like, satiety and feeling full, um, providing fibre for your health, 
the brown version is probably better. But if maximally refueling is your priority, then the white versions would, would probably be better because, um, as I said, fiber slows down your digestion. Um, so having tons of fiber might not allow you to fully uh, digest it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and also, if you have like tons of fiber before a training session, you can get that sensation of like bloating in your stomach. So maybe white versions would be better in that case. Brilliant. So that answer covered that question as well, which is best foods pre and post working. So yeah. we've hit that. So best supplements on and under the counter. <laughs> under the counter. That <laughs> so you want to think? Yeah. Is. So you spoke about. Uh, your your officials and your vitamin D. Yeah. During training camp, you dial them up and you take other things as well. Yeah. So let's talk about those. So officials and vitamin D would be health-based supplements, so I take them. Um, so vitamin D has some links to um, like your mental health as well. There's potential, not um, 100% guaranteed, but some research to say that it can improve your strength and, and fat loss as well. And obviously, you don't want to be deficient in any vitamins. Cause they're and most people are deficient in vitamin D. Yeah, because so they spend so much time indoors. Exactly. And we live in England, so yeah. you can see the rain <laughs> on the windows. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's something like 50% of people in um, the UK are deficient in vitamin yeah. D. So that one, um, fish oils, they're a source of omega 3s. Um, which is a, a healthy fatty acid, basically, and our diet really doesn't include that much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, say, if you're eating oily fish, so like salmon or, or uh, mackerel or something like that, you know, twice or more per week, you probably don't need them. But if you're not, like I'm not, I'm not yeah, particularly I'm not. a fan of those. Yeah. Um, then fish oil is good because it can um, reduce your blood pressure, um, tons of overall health benefits uh, as well, as well as um, potential benefits for strength and fat loss. So those would be two health-related things that I would like recommend taking, you know, most of the time. In terms of performance, um, so we spoke a little bit about caffeine and creatine before. The other one that comes to mind would be uh, beta alanine. So I don't know if you guys have heard about that. So it's basically an amino acid, um, and what it does is it it. So when lactic acid builds up in your muscles, you know, you get that burn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from hydrogen ions. What the beta alanine does is it, it buffers them so they don't build up as quickly. So for you know exercise that's like maybe two to three minutes, it can it allows you to go harder for longer basically. Um, so it delays the building up of, of that lactic acid in your muscles. So if you're a fighter, you know fight round, yeah. you know, three minutes something like that. Throwing heavy shots and exactly. So it can improve your your um, sort of short term endurance, like yeah, power endurance. endurance. Yeah. So caffeine, creatine, beta-alanine would be performance supplements. Um, vitamin D and fish oil would be health supplements. I think that's it. Anything else? I know a lot of people advise like um, magnesium to try and sleep better at night. Yeah. That nature. yeah. You, uh... I don't normally recommend it just because I don't want my clients to end up spending half their ways. That's, and fair, no, and no, that's true. Yeah. I, I want to only recommend what I know is yeah. guaranteed to have a benefit. If you're someone who's... You know, you've got the basis covered with those ones I recommended, and um, you can afford other things. One website I'd really recommend is examine.com. Um, it's a like, evidence-based, impartial supplement website. Um, I get a lot of my information from there as well. They're really good. Um, so I'd recommend checking out whatever supplement you're thinking about taking on, on examine.com um, if it's not in those five, I think, that, yeah. that I just mentioned. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Next one, if he had to live on one food forever, what would it be? Oh, mate, these questions, <laughs> these questions are so good. Yeah, like, <laughs> probably like brought my teeth away. Um, one food forever, oh man. 
and I want to live on it as well. <laughs> so it couldn't be like this because I'd die after a few weeks. Um, <laughs> well, what you'd be, you'd, you'd yeah. probably end up smelling of this yeah. within a couple of weeks. Um, one food, so it has to be a food that has, you know, some micronutrients, maybe some pro, maybe maybe like nuts or something. Seriously, it's, thinking about this. In yeah. terms of being healthy, I'd have picked biscuit. Yeah, so carry yeah. on. <laughs> you don't live for a few weeks, but maybe a good few weeks. Yeah. Maybe I'll go for that one then. So Biscoff or some form of nuts. Yeah, it depends if I want to have a good life or a long life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, next one. Thoughts on fasting, and we sort of spoke about it earlier regarding if you can fast, then by all means do it to keep your calories down. But if it's something that then leads you to overeating. And... Yeah, definitely. So that, that would be the key, what you said there, is if it leads you to overeating. Um, and I find as well, don't even, you know, label yourself as, oh, I can't fast because it leads me to overeat. Because for me personally, and I find with my clients as well, at different stages in your life, it can be different. Yeah. You know, like at the moment, personally, I'm enjoying three square meals a day and I don't feel restricted and stuff like that. Um, but there's been periods for me where fasting has worked really well. And it's just like, you know, Maybe when I was working and I was busy in the morning, I could just go to lunchtime without being hungry um, and then eat the rest of the day. And for me, at that time, that was the right decision. At the moment, I like exercising in the morning, so yeah. I don't want to go too long after exercising without eating. So for me at the moment, not fasting is working. But if it works for you, then do it. It's a good tool to reduce calories. And it's almost ties into what we were speaking about earlier with like the abstinence versus moderation. Yeah, yeah. It's like... I'm not eating now, and then over these few hours, I'm going to eat. It's like reduces the amount of decisions you have to make um, because you're either just in your eating window or in your fasting window. I, I intermittent fast every day, yeah. and I feel that that gives me the structure I need. I'm, I'm not particularly hungry in the mornings anyway. Mm. When I get up, I, I will not. I'll have some water, but I won't have anything. And then eventually, after being up and awake for a couple of hours, I'll have a black coffee. Then mm. I find that a black coffee and just keep sipping on water will get me through without actually feeling hungry. And yeah. then it's only sort of once food's passed my lips, so to speak, yeah. then I'm like, oh shit, now I'm hungry. Now I'm hungry. hungry. Yeah. And, and the key thing is, do you then just eat your two normal meals after that? Or are you someone who then overeats and feels like you've starved yourself? Because that is what dictates whether it is a good tool or yeah. probably not a good tool. Yeah. And I think one thing to take away from this podcast as well, and you just mentioned it then, is that a lot of these snippets of information are circumstance-based. Yeah. What are you doing on that day? What are you doing at this time? How are you feeling? What yeah, you how have before? you slept? Yeah. So all these things are, are things to take yeah. into account. There's not one rule that works every day. Unfortunately, with, with nutrition, the answer is always, it depends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like some days you can fast and have one meal a day and almost go home at, whereas other times you're like, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I need some porridge or something. Mm, so yeah. it, you have yeah. got to base it and just take it day by day basis. And don't take it on the fact that if you don't fast today, it doesn't mean you failed or whatever you're doing that day. Just make sure that the food choices you're having are good food choices. That's the big thing as well. It's the, the, the concept of doing what works for you now is so important because like you said, if you feel like, oh, I didn't fast today, so I've like messed up my diet and that, it's like, right, I've messed it up today, so I'll just get a takeaway and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's the destructive thing. Realise that fasting is just a tool, and if it works for you now, then use that tool. Um, and if it doesn't work for you now, then yeah. choose something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Don't get tied to any um, one approach. One right? method, yeah. It's, it's the like unsexy way to say it because you can't sell. Oh, uh, just do do what works for you. Yeah. It's not. It's not like a. You can't. You can't sell that really. But yeah. it, it is. It's it true. Is what works. Yeah. 
Uh, next, eating before bed. Is there like a window of time in which you don't want to eat anything? You don't want to take on any... I've got a guy at work that said he started recently having like a spoonful of olive oil just before he goes to bed. I don't know why, but he said for some reason that helps him. And is there anything... Should you have a decent window before you try and get to sleep or even like food types to avoid maybe even just before going to bed? I don't know what his rationale is behind the tablespoon of olive oil. I don't know. Um, well seasoned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, I think he's read it somewhere and he's like, oh, I'll try that. Yeah, that's probably similar to like the Bulletproof coffee. Pseudo-science. Yeah, yeah, so I probably wouldn't recommend shoveling oil down your throat. <laughs> um, but in terms of, if you're thinking about like, fat loss is eating, you know, past X PM, is that going to stop me losing weight? No is the answer. Um, in terms of actually sleep quality, some people find after a meal before bed, you can't sleep very well. Like um, It takes you a while to fall asleep. So I wouldn't have a huge meal before bed if that's something that you find um, disturbs your sleep. But if you can eat before bed and you feel fine, you then, then again, yeah. circumstance dictates. Yeah. Exactly, circumstance, yeah, exactly. So, but no to the olive oil. <laughs> probably no to the olive oil. <laughs> I'd like, have that with a meal or something, like you're pricing your food so- to make it taste nice rather than just eating off the spoon. <laughs> Um, but yeah it's different yeah <laughs> mate and you see it all the time with fat bombs and keto yeah. everyone's trying all these different things and I get yeah. it I mean you've got to try it to figure out if it works or if it doesn't so yeah. if, if you feel better for it even if it's just what we were saying with CBD and, yeah. and things like that if it's just I'll try it for a bit and then yeah. see if it works for you see how you feel uh, this one so and I mate got a question for your next guest if you don't mind so when they eat carbs, mainly bread, rice, potatoes, sounds like white carbs, I suffer from bad acid reflux, burping a lot, etc. Been to the doctors and they just fob you off with whatever that drug is and they don't want to take it continuously. Wondered if they could shed any light on what's best to do regarding that. That's an interesting one. Um, so yeah, like we spoke about GPs a bit earlier, they're yeah. definitely under-trained on nutrition advice, so I'd be cautious of getting nutrition advice from a GP generally, or I would also potentially look to a nutritionist as well, um, or a dietitian. Um, so he said when he eats carbs, he gets acid reflux, yeah. that's something I've heard a lot. Um, so I suppose... That, it, I mean, that could be the copious amounts of alcohol and cocaine at this point. <laughs> olive oil. <laughs> yeah, that's the olive oil, mate. Um, not too sure on that one. It probably... I suppose it'd be interesting to see what types of carbs, so if he's having you know, high fiber, like whole grain versions versus like white ones. Is it, is it specifically one of them that's causing it? Um, I what don't know. time is he, yeah. what time is he having these? The other thing is also go get your blood done. Mm, yeah. yeah. Maybe there is something wrong. Maybe you've got a stomach ulcer. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but it, it may be something a lot more insidious than yeah. just mm. Yeah. I'd say it's probably a little out of my scope in yeah. terms of I agree. being able to offer life changing advice on that one. Um, potentially, Mm. Well, we had a training partner that was having the same thing at turned out he had a hernia. Really, yeah. So maybe maybe do go to your GP and um, get him to... Uh, sort out your hernia. Get, yeah. <laughs> get, get some blood tests or something like that. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to be one mm. for you in our honesty, but yeah. we have to ask. So it's worth asking. Diabetes. So that's a big one. That, yeah. <laughs> that changes a lot of the goalposts mm. in regards to what you can take on because you're always having to monitor your blood sugars and things like that. Mm. So firstly... Diabetes and muscle gain. I know a lack of insulin or too much insulin or anything can sort of change your ability to work out, gain mm. muscle. There's actually in the bodybuilding world, people will literally buy um, 
Yeah, if you've got any advice for us, maybe somebody who's just starting off, is it trial and error? Is it obviously take it very slowly? Mm, go to the scientists. Yeah, go to But I know there's successful bodybuilders, but I don't know of many like combat sport athletes that are that are real diabetic. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't right. remember. Yeah. Well, then they might be, and they just don't make it public knowledge. Yeah. You know? Potentially. Yeah, that's another, another tough question, actually. So, again, that sort of GP realm, isn't it? Yeah, potentially. GP, um, I'll have to look into that a little bit more. That's the sort of thing that, because it's not an area I normally work on people with, yeah. it's an area I have, that, that was covered in, in MNU, but, you know, you you remember what you work with so often, so I'd have to probably revisit my lectures. Well, I'll tell, tell you what we do with that question, and we'll stay in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, even when you come across that, or you want to re re go over it, mm. give it to us, and we'll uh, we'll pass that information on yeah, to the person who asked the question. Uh, looking, oh sorry, looking to lose fat without losing weight and losing muscle. So is there? I mean, that's sort of something you can eat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> is there a way to lose fat specific without losing actual pounds on the scale and without losing muscle? So. I want to clarify the, the difference between weight and muscle. So you can lose fat without losing muscle, 100%. Um, you you really can't really lose... Or be, the chances of losing fat without losing any weight um, are low. But oh, oh, this is actually something I've come across quite a lot, and people will message me saying, yeah, I want to lose fat without losing any weight. Um, and they just sort of imagine themselves... Gaining muscle just, yeah, as the fat goes yeah. back, so it's like meeting in the middle. But I think... The root, at the root of it is because they feel like when they're losing weight, that is them losing muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can 100% lose fat without losing muscle. Um, and if you retain the exact same amount of muscle you have, but you lose fat, you you will lose weight, but you will look a lot better, and you won't look smaller. You won't you know look like you've lost muscles because that's what people fear. I find when they say oh, I want to lose fat, but I don't want to lose weight, they fear looking smaller. Yeah. Look that's what I. I mean, yeah. personally for me, whenever I've gone on like a a diet, so to speak. I want to shed a few pounds. Yeah. I always think I look worse than when I'm before, really. Yeah. But I, I lean out here, so like my abdomen and my midriff is a lot tighter, but also yeah. I feel like my arms are shrunk up, my face has mm. got more gaunt and things like that. Mm. So it's it's finding a diet that, that sort yeah. of works for that, really. And, and so for that, the three things I would <clears throat> recommend looking at, and actually the the, I suppose the, fear of losing muscle when dieting is like quite overblown Huge, although a lot of people fear it you can fairly like easily or, or simply at least um like mitigate against it so you don't lose muscle and one would be just keeping a high protein intake right so if i'm putting a number out there two grams per kilo that you weigh um so if you're 70 kilos aim for 140 grams of, of protein in the day um, and spread that evenly as well, so don't just have that all in like one sitting. Um, <laughs> spread, spread that, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, spread that through maybe like four, maybe five um, servings throughout the day. Um, so you're getting enough protein to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, so retaining and building new muscle tissue, and minimize muscle protein breakdown, which is essentially the, the main goal, um, which is when your body is breaking down muscle for, um, for white en- energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's number one enough protein throughout the day number two would be resistance training so lifting weights basically um so that provides the stimulus for your body to um to you know build 
muscle basically and re- retain the muscle. So if you you've got the protein um, in adequate amounts and you've got the resistance training, then you don't need to worry about losing muscle when you're dieting. The other thing I would look to is sleep as well because that can have um, such a negative impact on other areas of your life as well as well as your training quality and stuff like that. Um, so if you've got those first two ones nailed, also look to sleep as well. If you're doing those first two, but you're sleeping five hours a night, then you know you might be losing some good, muscle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, protein, lifting weights, and sleep. And is there like a, a golden number regarding calorie deficit-wise to be losing fat? Is there one that sticks out to you that you would advise on a weekly basis or a daily basis, this calorie deficit will help you lose fat? Yeah, so I'd say if, if you... And this especially applies if you're very lean already. So if you don't have much, don't have any fat to lose, you know, maybe if you're like 10% body fat or lower, which a lot of people with this goal would probably be higher than that. But just for those who are, that's when you'd want to be going slower with the calorie deficit because you've got less fat to lose. Um, and so the chance of your body using muscle to, to, to provide the energy is higher. If, you know, you're higher than that, like, like most people would be, like, you know, like I said earlier, 500 calories a day, 3,500 a week, that can lead to about half half kilo per week. That's a good amount um, without worrying about having to lose any muscle or anything like that. So around that, maybe slightly higher. Good, good advice. Uh, next one. If you had to stop at a standard fuel station and grab some lunch, not M&S. Not M&S. <laughs> what are you getting? That's a good one. I said in the story as well. Yeah, I like that they've clarified not M&S. Well, M&S has got far too superior selection. Yeah. Oh, so let's, let's, let's talk about that's top tier. Let's talk about Shell yeah. Sainsbury's. What you get? Shell garage, right? So I suppose it comes back to earlier what we were talking about with the like basing your meals around the protein source and um, so the vegetables or the fruits, so source of micronutrients. Um, they also keep you full as well. So I'm, I'm assuming this is like for a, a weight loss goal or something like that. Um, so looking to get a source of protein. So this could be, you know, a, a yogurt, Greek yogurt pot, um, and then some micronutrients. So that could be some fruit as well. So that's something you'll typically find in a gas station, right? So like just some natural plain yogurt and some fruit, easy one, put them together. Other things like in the more savory realm. So you, you can often find like pre-chopped, pre-mixed salad bags. So pairing them with a protein source as well. So you might be able to find in some of the some of the higher end garages, maybe some like pre-cooked chicken um, or another pre-cooked um, meat or source of protein. And you can sort of mix those two together. Again, you'd be getting the protein from, from the meat and the, the micronutrients from the vegetables. Um, other things as well is that sandwiches could be a decent choice. Um, and like the whole thing of saying, oh, I had a sandwich, like they can differ massively. You're having like an all-day breakfast on white bread, <laughs> probably not the best choice. But if you, you know, something like maybe uh, tuna, tuna and cucumber, tuna and mayo sandwich on like wholemeal bread, that could be a decent choice. Um, or maybe, you know, chicken, chicken salad sandwich on wholemeal bread. So be looking to, you know, sort of wholer, wholer bread, brown bread, um, and then leaner sources of protein. So not things like bacon, things more like chicken or, or tuna or stuff like that. So you can have them as well. Maybe also with some some salad or vegetables or you know carrot sticks yeah. um, that, that you could find in there. Um, so yeah, I, I reckon those are good. good I've choices. noticed that a lot of meal, you know, the classic Tesco meal deal. There are healthy options in there now. Yeah. It used to be like you're saying all day breakfast, pack of carbs and a, and a fizzy drink. Whereas now yeah. there are like low calorie options. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, for so, a meal deal, getting like one of those sandwiches I mentioned plus. You know, you can often get the bags of popcorn now, yeah. sort of lower calorie popcorn. And then they do then, little fruit bags. Now yeah, 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 or fruit, that would be even better. And then just like a low calorie drink, so 
water, ideally something like that. Good stuff. Um, would be a good choice. What we got next? So, uh, top three items to keep in stock at home. We addressed that earlier. Hashtag lime. lime. Uh, quick and healthy meal ideas for someone who works long hours and doesn't like to cook. This is a good one actually because. Um, from my experience with fighters, they don't cook. I not, yeah, it's got, got to be quick and easy. So generally thinking about like, the components for a meal, so I like to break it down to you've got your protein sources, carbs, fats, and then you've got your veggies. Um, so what you want to do is find some easy, quick sources for each of those. So, you know, what comes to top of mind easily for fat is things like oils, so you can use like olive oil or something like that, really high in uh, monounsaturated fats, really healthy fat. Um, to cook in and, and then you know you've got to pour it out and chuck it in the pan so that's just do a scoop <laughs> yeah don't have it before bed <laughs> um, and then so things like so for carbs things like I'm a big fan of you know like Uncle Ben's rice or like the microwave rice things like that they're a super easy one whack them in the microwave and, and they're done and they taste nice as well and do you have a whole bag of Uncle Ben's rice I wouldn't personally I'm you know 57 kilos I'm a small small guy um, so probably for me it would be half a pack um, or maybe one pack depending on how many meals a day I'm having. So I would say, just for the general listen, as a bit of advice, if you're you know, a bigger guy, maybe 75 kilos plus, then you, then a full pack would, would be a sermon. If you're probably below 75 kilos, then maybe half a pack, or a full pack if you don't snack too much throughout the day, or if you know, you're maybe pre- or post-workout and those carbs are more important. Um, but yeah, don't automatically assume that a full pack would, would yeah, be a sermon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've got some... Because it's easy to assume when you go into yeah. and you sort of, right, okay, microwave two minutes and then you yeah. put the whole thing on your plate. It's, it makes sense to do that, yeah, but definitely. guidelines-wise, it's not there. And then some... So quick veggies are, are things like stir-fried veggies, which are great. Um, frozen, like chopped mixed veg, just easy. You can you know put it in a tub or whack it in the microwave and it cooks in a few minutes mm-hmm. and things like that are, are ideal. Um, and then protein sources as well. So generally, I'm a fan of um, eggs. Are quite easy to cook. You know, don't, don't take too much effort. Um, if even that's too much, you can buy pre-cooked chicken, pre-cooked chopped chicken. And you know, if you just so thinking about an actual meal that you can make out of it. So you get a pan, tablespoon of olive oil, chuck the veggies in, um, chuck the uh, protein in. So have some pre-cooked chicken or something like that. Um, maybe add a bit of the seasoning. We spoke about earlier. So yeah. limes. <laughs> chili garlic maybe um, and then you can serve that with the Uncle Ben's rice and that, that's a meal so what I would do is think of a few meals like that for me personally a stir fry um, porridge for breakfast super easy um, and then just like a salad so a pre-made salad bag maybe a tin of tuna um, tablespoon of olive oil bit of balsamic vinegar or something three lime. super easy meals lime of course <laughs> every, every meal um, yeah just Maybe get three to five meals that you know are quick and easy, and you can always you sort yeah. of always have the stuff in. Just rotate, um, just rotate between lines. Of so, again, good advice. Uh, keeping focused on a diet. Now, rather than answer that, go back and watch his YouTube video. Yes, it's an amazing video. I think it's like eighteen minutes long. There's a, an eighteen minutes full version, and yeah. I've I've clipped a I think three minute version, which just goes over the first one. So. Mm-hmm. If you're not sold, watch that first one and then... Watch the 18-minute one, trust me. Um, really, really good content for, for staying on track. Rather than spending 20 minutes now rehashing over something you've already yeah. put yeah. out there, yeah. honestly, go on to James's new um, your YouTube channel yeah. and it, it, it's, a, it's a really, really good video. So I've watched it and took loads away from it. 
Uh, macro percentage ratios for fat loss, i.e. 40% carbs, 20% fats, etc., etc. It's a good question and um, one I get quite commonly as well. People... <laughs> um, people like that as well and I remember actually like going back to my uni days like I was talking and experimenting with different diets and stuff I was trying to find like the ideal macro percentage um, and even you know talking about getting caught up in the fads got caught up in like the like, body type thing you know mm-hmm. endomorph mesomorph ectomorph which now I know isn't evidence based so if anyone is listening and you know feels like because you're an endomorph you can't eat carbs or whatever that's it's bullshit yeah it's bullshit and that's <laughs> how I bullshit. was so um, so yeah and, and coming back to the, the question in terms of macro ratios for fat loss, it, it's not the ratios will, will differ depending on what um, how many calories you're on. And so I wouldn't be looking to ratios. I, I've spoken about it quite a lot over the course of this podcast. I'd be looking more to grams per kilo of body weight. Um, so in, in terms of just some valuable advice for fighters, what I'd be looking at. So protein to be getting roughly two grams per kilo. Um, carbs will depend on your um, training level, like how intense your training is that day. If it's a rest day, two grams per kilo, so two times your weight um, of carbs would be fine. If you're training harder, maybe you'd be looking higher, so maybe four, five, grams. maybe even higher grams per kilo. Um, so that would just depend on your training intensity. Fats on a training day, half to one gram per kilo so if i'm 60 kilos 30 to 60 grams and then on a rest day going a bit higher to make it up so one to two grams per kilo um on a rest day yeah so that's it protein carbs and fats so i'd be looking towards those rather than percentages because if i'm on a calorie deficit i wouldn't still have that same percentage of maybe 30 20% 20% protein or whatever because my I'd like to keep the protein the same because you're reducing the overall calories the keeping the protein the same would mean that the percentage goes up so yeah. look, look to those grams per kilo sick well that's the Q&A portion done so regarding the podcast that, that's been some fantastic information you're now going off on your travel so uh, talk to us about that the reason we <laughs> have to get you on the podcast is because shortly after Christmas and New Year, you're you're off to Thailand. Yeah, I almost don't want to talk about it because it's been delayed so, so long. <laughs> but I've like I'm it. it. Yeah, but so I, I was meant to move to Thailand um, in May this year. Obviously, COVID hit, so like by that time, I quit my job and everything. Um, and then basically, COVID hit, caused this big like shitstorm. Um, and so I've just been waiting for them to open up their borders, and now I'm in the process where I've got my visa, I've got my flights, and quarantine hotel and all but there's a lot of hoops you've got to jump through um but for me um because i planned to move there and my girlfriend is out there as well um it, it just makes sense for, for me to do that so i'm heading out there early in january um and then i'll be doing a two-week hotel quarantine basically you're stuck in your hotel room did you pick a nice hotel i picked a mediocre hotel okay. <laughs> <laughs> to balance the, the price of the you don't want two weeks of bed bugs yeah, and shit yeah exactly so fingers crossed for that i've got a balcony so hopefully i'll be able to get out on that but okay. um, you know hopefully it ties in well you know january you've got all the like people with their new year's resolution wanting to get their nutrition sorted so i'll have basically 24 hours inside a day that i'll be able to to work with people. So. Yeah, and hopefully this uh, podcast will assist and, and people go to your website, sign up. I know you're not taking on too many clients. One of the things that I actually respect about the way you run your business is that you, you're not overloading clients. You don't just accept everyone yeah, on board. Yeah. Is, is that 
you have a manageable amount of clients so you can actually focus on them and give them the help they need. Yes, yeah. I like to keep the, keep the list small and then I know that I can give everyone the attention they deserve um, and, and that they're paying for um, without you know overloading myself and then starting to have to sacrifice my own fight training and, and stuff like that. So I like to keep keep it... Uh, Everything in moderation, specific. including moderation. Exactly, exactly. So, so what's your goal? your reason for, for going to Thailand? What, what are you... What are you looking to gain out of it? You've got a 90-day visa, and I know, like you said, if you could stay longer, you'd be staying longer. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But what, yeah, exactly. what are you looking to achieve out there? So looking to, ultimately, the big picture is to stay out there long-term, take my Muay Thai career as, you know, as far as I can get it, fight as much as possible, you know, fight at least one, once every month, um, just get as many fights under my belt as I can, as much experience, yeah. um, take on, you know, the toughest competition that's available to me, um, and, you know, maybe one day, get to the elite level of the sport ultimately that's the goal um, but so it's James Nipple versus your son Clyde <laughs> yeah in front of the king of <laughs> yeah, yeah hopefully you'll retire before <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah essentially take more time as far as I can get to you know we were saying at the start with these extreme personalities I never want to do anything and half ass it like if I'm going to do this you, you know I'm going to move to Thailand I'm going to commit to it I'm going to get to as high a level as I physically can um Rather than you know not giving it a hundred percent, a lot of respect for that. Thank you. And the thing is that like, if you don't do that, you'll only be left with regrets at the end exactly. of it anyway. It's, it's the whole maybe life life thing. Yeah. yeah, never want to be one of those guys like in the pub saying, "Oh yeah, I used to do that when I was young." <laughs> yeah. I could have been, could have been a world champ, but didn't, but didn't get injured. I was yeah, like, yeah. every yeah. bricklayer in yeah. London could have been yeah. a world champ. Yeah, I blew my ACL. No, fair play. So I mean, we'll we'll, we'll stop the podcast there. But best of luck. Yeah. Thanks ever so much for coming on. We'll stay in touch with you. Maybe we can do, I know we said we prefer doing it in person, but maybe we'll do a couple of video podcasts while you're out there. Yeah. Flights to Thailand. I did say. Yeah, I did so say. So all, paid, all expenses paid. Yeah. I'll, I'll be back in the UK at some point. Yeah. Um, so it'd be great to um, come back on. I really enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for having me. I did say James made the two and a half hour trip down there, so it's only <laughs> fair we make the nine hour flight out there. be good to go. <laughs> So, yeah, thanks very much. Um, Be sure to look up James on Instagram, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Genuinely, even your posts on Instagram, they're they're brilliant, really informative um, and really well put together. Give us a like, subscribe and a follow. Um, We'll be back with you again in in a couple of weeks. weeks. All right. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks again, James. First and foremost, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Asylum Podcast. We're in association with Gym Buddy. Gym Buddy is a fitness network created to streamline the interaction between gyms and gym users. Whether you're a gym looking for a new revenue stream or a prospective gym rat looking to get in shape, Gym Buddy provides the platform to do so. They strive to deliver an experience that will support users both mentally and physically to become the best version of themselves. Download the Gym Buddy app today. We are also brought to you by Plant the Seed. Plant the Seed are a family-run business based in West Sussex, providing high-quality, 100% organic CBD products. A company passionate about CBD and fully invested into providing you a product you can trust. Their researched range of full-spectrum CBD oils are made from Swiss-grown hemp and 100% organic sunflower oil. All their oils are 100% certified and extracted using CO2 extraction methods. All products are third-party lab-tested, ensuring each drop contains the cannabinoid you need for a healthy, happy you. Lastly, we're also sponsored by Fit Stuff. Their product range is tailored to suit the modern day individual who wants to be able to improve their body and health no matter what. Gone are the days of busy gyms waiting in line for equipment or worrying about what other members are thinking or doing. 
at Fit Stuff, they understand the importance of being fit and healthy, but they want to make your journey to the new improved you as easy as possible. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to sign into our Instagram, our Facebook, interact with us, follow us, subscribe on YouTube, and we'll talk to you again very soon.